be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for wanting us. Thank you for sending your son who wanted us enough that he was willing to pay the bride price. Father, thank you that you chose to send the only one who was able to pay the bride price. And then, Father, thank you for accepting that payment by raising your Son from the dead. And so, Lord, we praise you for the resurrection. We give you glory, give you honor, give you our thanksgiving. We give you our worship. Father, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, allow us to be united in committing ourselves to you now. Father, show us, allow us to know the resurrected Christ who is alive and who is active, who has power and authority, and who has an infinite love for his children. Allow us to know him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning is going to come from Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. If you would turn with me there and... On this Easter sermon, we are going to look at uh, Jesus' appearance to His disciples following His resurrection. And so, as we get to this point, the stone has been rolled away. People have seen inside the tomb that Jesus is not there. And we are looking at now Him appearing to His disciples, starting in verse 36. If you would please follow along with me in your Bibles. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their mind. To understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. The resurrection is a central, it's a climactic theme in the Bible. We proclaim the victory of the cross, and yet we see it after the fact. Because when the apostles saw the cross, and when they witnessed the death of Christ, it left them afraid. 
It left them in their shame. It left them lost. But the resurrection of Christ overcomes all of that. And without the resurrection of Christ, we would not have a gospel. The apostles would not have a gospel to tell us about because we would still be looking for a Savior for the one to come. And so it is important to know that the resurrection gives the life of Christ meaning. It makes the death of Christ sufficient. And it unites the story of God from Genesis all the way into Revelation, overturning the sentence of death that follows the sin of Adam and then securing our inheritance of eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. And so today, as we specifically look at this, we will see that the resurrection of Christ is a revelation of promises. And we'll see this in four ways. First, the resurrection is a revealing resurrection. It's a revealing resurrection. And number two, it's a physical resurrection. Number three, it's a redemptive resurrection. And number four, it is a sending resurrection. So first... The resurrection of Christ is a revealing resurrection. So here we are at this detailed account of Jesus overcoming the tomb. And it should be seen that Jesus is committed to revealing himself to his followers. He's made himself present to the two travelers on the road to Emmaus. The tomb has been rolled away so that the two Marys, so that Joanna and Peter and John could look inside and see he was not there. As one commentator, William Hendrickson, points out in his notes on the resurrection, he asks of what which should we make of the stone being rolled away from the tomb? He says, was the stone rolled away so that Jesus could get out? No, of course not, he says. For we see at the end of John's gospel that John describes Jesus traveling through the walls of locked doors. The stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so that they could get in and see that he had indeed risen. And so all of these things, the road to Emmaus, the stone being rolled away, him appearing here, these things are revealing that Christ is alive and he wants his disciples to know that he is in fact alive and he wants them to know that they have not been abandoned. So what is this telling us? This is telling us that the resurrected Lord reveals himself as alive, as physically risen. He didn't didn't send them, nor does he send us on a hunt. He doesn't keep himself hidden. The fact that Jesus made himself known to the disciples and others after his resurrection promises us that he wants us to know that he is alive and he's with us. That we, his people, his church, we are not abandoned. And He's with us not just in memory, but in an active way. So here's what this point means for us now as we continue, even today, thousands of years later, to celebrate the resurrection. That our suffering Lord, the one who died on the cross, is still revealing Himself. He is still saying, as He did here, He is still saying to us, He is still asking, why are you troubled? And He is still saying, it is I myself who is here with you. This is to say that He wants us to have Him. And so, you say yes, but is it the same today? Is He really really revealing Himself in the same way today that He did then at the resurrection? And the answer is this, and we'll get into this a little more in a few moments. But that He is revealing Himself 
to us now in an even more powerful and an even more convincing way than if he were to walk through these walls right now. Have you ever have you ever desired, have you ever wanted to get into someone's mind or get into someone's heart in order to convince them, in order to persuade them of something or in order to help them believe something? Have you ever longed to get deep to know how they are thinking and what they are needing to hear and what they are needing to know to be able to be persuaded, to be able to be convinced? The way that the living and the resurrected Christ reveals himself to us is not through a broken system. He is able to go far beyond our eye, the way that I'm able to see you and the way that you are able to see me and the way that I'm able to hear you and you are able to hear me. He goes far beyond that. He goes deep, deep inside of us to open the eyes of our hearts, to allow us to truly listen. He is able to woo us with his power. And because he is alive, he can speak deep into our being. And this cannot be done by a dead man. Nor can this be done by a mere human. And so because He is our Creator, and because our Creator is alive, He is able to speak deep, convincing, and persuading us that He is actually here. And when He wants to reveal Himself, God the Creator, God the Son, He can. Now here's what you may say. We've read this passage. And you're hearing this about the resurrected Christ is a revealing Christ. This is a revealing resurrection. And you may say, but this is too good to be true. And maybe not even necessarily that it's too good to be true that he resurrected from the grave. You may say, he's God, he can do whatever he wants. But it's too good to be true that he can reveal himself to me now as he did then. And you may say, I hear you and I hear others and I understand that it agrees with the account of Scripture, but it does not agree with what I know. I really want it, but it is too good to be true. And so let's look at verse 41. Look at verse 41 of this chapter. Because this is what's happening. Christ is there in the flesh. They see him. And then it says in verse 41, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. What is this saying? What is this describing? This is giving us an honest account of the disciples As they see Jesus in the flesh, they're saying, this is too good to be true. They are saying, this is unbelievable. Here is Christ. We saw him die on the cross. We saw him put into the grave. Now he is here. I can touch him, but I just can't believe it. They're still disbelieving. But nevertheless, he is revealing himself. So here's where I hope that we can start this morning when looking at the resurrection of Christ and the fact that it is revealing. If you are saying it is too good to be true, it is too good to be true that I can know Jesus and that He can be revealed to me the way that He was revealed to them then, then let's start here. That's okay. But let's start with this. Let's start by saying it's too good to be true, but let's do it while marveling. And let's do it with joy. And let's do it with longing and wonder, longing to look into this mystery and longing for this revelation to actually be true. Let's start here. Let's marvel. Let's have joy 
as we consider this is too good to be true. Let's look into this with wonder. So it's a revealing resurrection. And it's also a physical resurrection. Because Jesus wanted to emphasize more than just a resurrection. He was making it so clear that it was physical. He was making it so clear that he's not a ghost. He's not a spirit. And we see this when he says, For a spirit does not have flesh and bones. And he's showing them his hands, his feet, his scars. He's eating broiled fish with them. And this is the resurrected Christ in the physical flesh. And so why is this important? Especially for us today, as Christ in the flesh is not here with us, but has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we do, in fact, have God here with us in the Spirit. So why is it important that this is a physical resurrection? As Jesus died on the cross, Luke tells us just in a chapter earlier, that he's on the, as he's on the cross, he looks at the thief next to him. And as the thief says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom, he looks at the thief and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. And then moments later, Luke tells us that in his suffering and in his last breath, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so what we can know from Scripture, all that we can tell is that at that moment, at His death, the Spirit of Christ ascends to be in the presence of the Father. His Spirit goes and He's there in the presence of the Father that day in paradise with the Father. But that's not the resurrection. That's not what we celebrate today. What we celebrate today is when the Spirit of Christ that has united with the Father at His death, we celebrate when that Spirit reunites with His body and then He walks out of the tomb. That's what we're celebrating. His spirit has reunited with his physical body and he walks out of the tomb. In other words, we celebrate the physical nature of Christ's existence. And the reason that that is so important is because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.20. This is what Paul says. He says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen Asleep. So what this means is, is that if you've had loved ones, family, people that have gone before you, that were in Christ when they died, their spirit ascended to be with the Father. And what Paul is saying is that because of the physical resurrection of Christ, we can know that those loved ones and those family members, there will be a day for them when their spirit will reunite with their body. And as Jesus did, they will walk out of the grave. And that's for us. We will have a physical resurrection because of the physical resurrection of Christ. And so when Jesus is saying, see me, touch me, give me something to eat. And they know that it is him and yet his glory is making it difficult to believe. He is telling them that this is what awaits them. A physical life, everlasting, death-defeating, glorified perfected. I want to illustrate something and then after that I'll tell you what it has to do with any of this. But when I was in college, a friend of mine who knew that I had always dreamed of going to see Michael Jordan play basketball in person, probably since I first picked up a basketball, he got me a ticket to go watch Michael Jordan play basketball in Memphis when Michael Jordan was going to play uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. And I couldn't... I just, this is a dream come true. I, it was a dream come true. And then soon I found out that it was coming up on a Saturday night. That's when the game was. It was on a Saturday night. And then I found out that it was the same Saturday night that Auburn was playing Georgia at home. 
And so it was a dream come true. I knew I couldn't pass it up. He was soon to retire. I knew that there was not going to be another chance. And yet, I was, in my, in my mind, I was thinking, but I'm going to miss out on this Auburn game. And as it was approaching, I was so excited, but I knew that something was coming that was, in it, it was going to make me miss out on something else. And even when I was at the game, I remember calling friends to ask about the Auburn-Georgia score. I was so consumed with missing out on what was happening elsewhere. And I share that because, okay, I said I'd tell you what that has to do with anything. I share that because as great as we know that heaven will be, we can, we can worry that something will be missed here. We are drawn, so drawn to the physical part of our existence and our surroundings, we like to be touched. We like to run. We enjoy being embraced. We like food. We like the physical aspects of love. We appreciate eternity. We do. We, we can agree. We appreciate it. We sing about it. We talk about it. But will we miss out? Are there things here that we will miss? We want to go to heaven, but let us get to this place first. Let us, let us experience this first. So I want to read something Tim Keller references about the re resurrected life. This is what he says. He says, your future is a physical future. Jesus Christ does not say, I am going to redeem you away from this world so that you can have a wonderful nether netherland world in the future. So that when you die, you can leave this awful world of suffering. No. Instead, Jesus says, this material world is so important to me that I have come to redeem it. And your future is what you see in me. You are going to have a body because your future is physical. The resurrection of Christ here, Christ appearing to his disciples, and this given to us in God's word, is telling us that we will not miss out on a thing. We will never look back. What awaits us is a new and perfected, untainted heavens and earth wherein we will eat, embrace, feel, run, travel. We will touch Christ and one another. We will eat and dine with Him and we will eat and dine with each other. The only things that we will leave behind are the things that hinder us now. The things that frustrate us now. The things that control us now and the things that separate us. We will never reminisce. We will never wish for a moment prior to our resurrections. We will never wish for a moment. And th this, this, so this is not what I mean. I do not mean that there aren't things that are good here. There aren't things here to look forward to. There aren't blessings here. That we can't experience God's love here and experience the love of others. But this is what, this is what I mean. That the most relished moments of love, fun... Peace, fellowship, significance, passion, emotion will not be sacrificed for eternity. They will only be magnified in eternity. That's what awaits for us in eternity. Therefore, two things that I think are important to take away from this point. So the fact that our resurrection, the, the fact that Christ's resurrection is physical and will lead to our physical resurrection, two points. We do not have to be frantic about accomplishing all of our dreams here. Now, we can pursue goals and should. We should strive in our serving of Christ and serving of other people according to God's plan and timing, but we can do that without feeling like we have to take over to fit it all in. 
We can get beyond saying, oh, how I wished I could have done that or if I could go back or, oh, I wish I could see that, that that person has seen or experienced that. We no longer have to say, if we can truly embrace this, that I sure would do this differently or my life sure didn't turn out the way that I'd hoped that it had or I had planned. Because the one to pity is not the one who has a life of suffering and disappointment. The one to pity is the one who believes that they are able to find it all here. The one to pity is the one who does not long for a resurrection and longs for nothing more. Because Easter gives us a different message. It tells us that in Christ there is no reason to be frantic. You have a physical, a glorified eternity where everything gorgeous and satisfying and fulfilling awaits us. Secondly, because of the physical resurrection of Christ, we can sacrifice. We can sacrifice, and we really can because the reason not to sacrifice is because we are so set on. We are so set on not giving ourselves away because we have to invest our time and our money and our energy in this life alone. We've got to get it in. Now, I'm not saying that this is, and I'm not hoping to bind someone's conscience, and I'm not saying this is always right. Elena and I save money. We hope to leave an inheritance to our children one day. That would be a wonderful thing. However, Easter tells us that you can die here with absolutely nothing left and you will not long for that which you do not have at your death. In other words, we can give it all away. We can give it all away. We see the early church selling possessions, giving away possessions. They understood the physical resurrection. They understood what was awaiting them. And we can sacrifice our time, our comfort, our money, everything for the sake of others and for the glory of Christ because we have a future awaiting us that has nothing to do with our riches that are stored up here and it's probably exactly the opposite. Now, way to consider this. If you think, looking back, or maybe, maybe this is something looking forward, but if you think you missed out on the perfect wedding... Or maybe you have seen wedding pictures in these magazines. When Elaine and I were getting married, there were magazines everywhere. And there were all of these weddings. And you look in these magazines. Have you looked in these magazines and, you've, and have you said the bride is beautiful, the groom is happy, the people are having a wonderful time, the food looks amazing, the church is gorgeous? I'll never have a wedding like that. Or I've ne- I, I never got to have a wedding like that. The physical resurrection tells us that a wedding like that has nothing in comparison to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we will feast and dine and fellowship with Christ our Lord and we will be there together experiencing the wedding ceremony of eternal union with Christ. We will miss out on nothing. So this is a revealing resurrection It's a physical resurrection and it's a redemptive resurrection. And this goes back to and connects with our first point. So remember in our first point when I said, let's at least start here. If you're saying it's too good to be true to know Jesus the way that they did and for him to be revealed the way that they did. And I said, okay, it's okay, but let's do it while marveling. 
Let's do it with joy. Let's do it while looking into this mystery, longing for this revelation to actually be true for us. And remember that that's where the disciples were. Remember that they were disbelieving with joy. But let's look at verse 44. Look at verse 44 where Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. So here's what's going on. Jesus is saying that his resurrection is fulfilling the Hebrew Scriptures. His resurrection is ful- it's fulfilling the Hebrew Scriptures, which were full of death, pain, Rebellion, unbelief, battle, the worship of other gods. But the Hebrew Scriptures were also full of promises and the covenants of God. And Jesus is saying here, He is saying that the promises of God are found right here in me. And the covenants of God are being kept right here in me. And because I am alive and in the flesh, all the pain and the death and the battle... And the rebellion and the unbelief and the worship of other gods, all of that is being swallowed up in me. So he's saying this resurrection is a redemptive one. And then it says he opened their minds to the scriptures, which is telling us that their minds were open to see that he is revealed. He has revealed himself in the scriptures. And so this is a climactic part of this passage, because what's being said here is that they have gone from disbelieving with joy to saying it's all true. Everything in here is true. It's really true. So they're seeing that this is not just a code of ethics. This is not just a good way to live. This is not just a way to keep our identity as a people and keep us together as a people. Our God is the God of the universe and He's the one that's right here in front of us and He is the one that we find right here in the Scriptures. The resurrection is a redemptive one and the living Christ is found in the Scriptures. So if we haven't seen it yet, let me explain what happened to the disciples. They see Jesus in the flesh and they can't believe it. They see Him there. He's eating with them and they can't believe it. He shows them the Scriptures and He opens their mind to the Scriptures, to Him in the Scriptures. And then they know it is Him. The Creator God is truly their God. And the Creator God knows them and He wants them to know Him. And he's found in the Scriptures, the person of Christ here in the Bible. So I go back to can Christ be revealed to you and known by the way that he was then? And this tells us absolutely yes. Let him be seen in the Bible. So can you read in Exodus or Ephesians? Can you read there, dive in and say, Jesus really died for me? Jesus has really risen from the grave. Can you read Exodus and say, the resurrection is true. He has overcome all that is here. Redemption is here. Christ has risen. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And He is alive. And He is bringing you and me to understand and see Him and see His redemptive work. And when we do that, we are able to say it is really true. This is all true. And so 
This is a revealing resurrection. It's a physical resurrection. It's a redemptive resurrection. And then finally, it is a sending resurrection. And we see this in verses 46 through 49, especially verse 47, where, where Jesus says that repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then he tells us that we will receive, that the apostles will receive power from on high. So the risen Christ is given a sending and proclaiming power. He's sent power down. And he sends us out with that proclaiming power. And so his physical resurrection is the central theme in our evangelism. It is core and central. As we share our lives with the world around us and with others around us that are falling apart, just as we are falling apart, or as others are building their foundation and their lives and their hopes on things that are crumbling or will crumble, we offer a redemptive hope in a risen Christ. One that has come to fix our hearts. One that has done a work on us. One that has opened our minds and is renewing them. His word is alive. And as he sends us, he promises power from on high. So here's Jesus' promise as we're closing here. He says, and he promises, I've suffered, I've died, but I've risen. And he says, I'll offer redemption and forgiveness of sins through repentance. Now go with the promise of power. Go with my promise that it will happen. That my word will go to the nations, to the ends of the earth. That my word will go to your neighbors. Go with that promise. Now here's what some people do. Some people take this and they stand and they say, repent or burn in hell. And then there's others. They take this and they say, you can have Christ. You don't need repentance. You can have Christ and you can have everything else too. Or you can find your own Christ. And both of those are such terrible ways to leave people in their sins. But what Christ is giving us here, the power that He is offering, and what the Gospel can say as we see that we've received power on high and power to go, what the gospel can say is we call people to repentance and forgiveness of sins. The gospel can say there's another way. The Bible tells us that everything else is rubbish, that everything else is crumbling and falling, and that the living God in Christ overcomes that which is crumbling and dying. And then we can be reminded. We can be reminded as we look to our hope, the resurrected Jesus, our God, that when someone looks to sex, when someone looks to alcohol, when someone looks to pornography, when someone looks to money, when someone looks to, it could be good or evil things, to give them hope, to, give, to allow them to get to another day or get to another moment, when people are looking to those things, we can know and be reminded that ultimately they are looking and longing and grasping for God in Christ. They're longing for the physical resurrection of Christ to be real to them and to fill their hearts and their souls. And so how does Christ, why does Christ send us? Why does He tell us to go?
He tells us to go because we can actually give the world their heart's desires when, they, when we proclaim His name. And the living Christ can give you your heart's desire when you proclaim His name. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the time that we live in. Because what we do today is we are celebrating not a resurrection to come. We are celebrating not something that we are just hoping could possibly may happen. But instead, we live in a time where we are able to look back and we are able to see a report, an account of Christ coming up from the grave, walking out of the tomb, proclaiming His power, proclaiming His kingship, proclaiming the mystery of the gospel, revealing Himself, warning us, going after us so that we may have Him. Lord, we're thankful for all that this tells us. Thank You for letting us live now. For letting us have the Christ revealed to us. Father, may we go today longing to experience the risen Christ, longing to know Him. God, as we open our Bibles this evening, tomorrow, may we find Him in the Scriptures and may He find us there. May He... May we experience His joy there. Father, when we go to You in prayer in the name of Christ, may we experience His joy there, His revelation, the knowledge of Him. And may we be able to say, it's all true. It's really true. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.